Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Um, I pray that you have ears to hear and you have open hearts to understand. And write this down. Today's message, I I was battling whether I should just call it greater glory or if I should call it what I ended up calling it. So today's title is Deeper Death, Greater Glory. Go ahead and write that down. Deeper Death, Greater Glory. How How about look at the person next to you and say, Deeper Death, Greater Glory. Man. Thank you, Lord. We've been, um, as you write that down, as we get into the word today, we've been sharing for so long here at Nest that there's a greater glory that we can live in. How many of you have heard that here before? There's a greater glory that we can live in. And we see glory mentioned in Scripture many times for many things. We see glory mentioned. So uh, I started to like, I was like, I can't do this because I almost, this almost became a whole teaching on glory in itself. So I was like, oh, but there's so much. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's going to come. But, but we see glory mentioned in scripture many times for many things, such as man's possessions. Scripture talks about glory in that sense. It talks about glory when it comes to the reign of certain kings, the adornment of clothing, the fruitfulness in which the land or the forest gives, especially like when it talks about Lebanon, the glory of the, of the forest of Lebanon and talks about things like that. We see it as a description unto the virtuous woman or the ideal wife, however you want to call it, that is found in Proverbs 31. We see glory in, in an essence mentioned there. And glory can even be uh, seen in the mentions of human character. I don't know if you guys know that. Whether it's to overlook the faults of others or even avoiding strife, glory can be seen in scripture even in those things. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Beautiful verse. Proverbs 23 says, It is honorable. If you look at the Hebrew word, it's the same Hebrew word used for glory. It is glory for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. Very important when we see that glory can be part of Almost everything that we as sons and daughters of God are part of. But listen, the most significant and the, and the, and the greatest use of this word when it, we deal with glory and majesty, it's when it's applied to God. When it's applied to God. And, and, and when I say that, you know, deeper death, greater glory. When I say greater glory, I'm, I'm guessing that in certain circles, right, the word glory can weird people out. Because a lot of people do weird things with certain words. But glory is not a bad word. Glory is not a bad thing. The Bible talks about the Shekinah of the Lord and so much. But I'm guessing that in these certain circles, you know, especially when we use it in the context of this, there's a greater glory for us to live in. Well, what in the world are you talking about? There's a greater glory. I believe that you'll have that answer by the time we say yes and amen at the end. There's a greater glory for us to live in. Can you say that? There's a greater glory for myself, for I to live in, for me to live in. There's a greater glory for me to live in. I hope you could believe that for yourself. There's a greater glory for me to live in or just stay where you're at. There's a greater glory for me to live in. 
And, and this is not something new. It's not a new teaching that the church has found themselves in. It's what we should desire, and it's what the Lord desires for us. Greater glory. Greater glory. Do you desire it? The Lord does. Now, don't misinterpret, don't misinterpret that you living in greater glory has to do just with self. But it has more to do with the Lord and his presence in your life. Greater glory, it's not just about you, it's about that which is being made alive in you. So, so be very careful that you don't make it about yourself. Because sometimes we say, that person has such a glory about them, you know. Um, whether it's an athlete, a celebrity, or something, when they walk into a room, sometimes the word glory is mentioned to speak of certain people. And, um, and, and I think this is so important when we talk about uh, the word glory. Greater glory. So I want this to serve you as a reminder, and here it is, that God, you should write this down, that God has created us, God has created us for his glory. Okay, it's biblical, there's scripture on this, okay? I want you to know this, that God has created us for his glory. He's created us for his glory. And I believe this, and, and, and this is why I share today this, that there is greater glory in Christ when there is deeper death in us. There's greater glory found in Christ when there is deeper death in us. He has created us for his glory. Can you say that to yourself, right? He's created me for his glory. He's created me for his glory. But, but, but greater glory might come with deeper death. And we'll get into that. And I couldn't remove my thoughts from this. I, I'm guessing because it was Easter and the resurrection, the cross, Sunday as we celebrated his resurrection, the glory that comes with it. I mean, think about this. All that glory in which Christ received and now lives in it is to understand that it also came, listen, with the cross, with death, right, with burial, to bring forth resurrection. The glory of Christ also came with the cross and burial. Resurrection came from a place of cross and burial to then come resurrection. So everything that he receives and now lives in comes also with some pain, comes also with some death. And there is a deeper death to receive, I believe, a greater glory. I believe that 100%. So when I say this introduction and when I'm, when I'm kind of putting this together to now draw a better picture, I, I could only ask myself, like I always do when I study and read scripture, where does this put me? Where does this put us? What, do, what does this say about us? How do we respond here from this thought? That he's created us for his glory. What does that mean to you? What does that mean about you? What is, how do you respond to, the, to that statement that there is greater glory and that there is a glory that you're called to live in and that he has created you for his glory. How do you respond? Amen. I love Isaiah 43 when it comes to this because in the Old Testament, we see that Israel in the Old Testament is God's specific people, which he has this plan and this call over, and it's his chosen people. It's what we would call, as we study scripture, his covenant people. And his covenant people in the Old Testament being Israel, he tells them something which is very important. And I don't want you to miss what he's telling Israel in Isaiah 43. As he's speaking to them, listen to this. I'm going to start from verse 1. I'll pause at verse 7. I want you to really follow along and read and listen to what the Lord is saying to his covenant people. Verse 1. 
Everyone say verse 1. It's good. He says, but now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob. There's evidence that it's Israel, and you're going to see much more evidence that it's Israel. Jacob's name is turned to Israel. So he says, and he who formed you, O Israel. There you go. Fear not, for I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name. You are mine. Love that. I love that God can look at someone and say, you are mine. (laughs) Verse 2, he tells them, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. Is all of this truth to Israel? Has Israel not gone through everything that we just read there? Have they not gone through waters (laughs) or fires? I mean, listen, Jerusalem in 70 AD was was set ablaze. (laughs) And yet they're still here. It's his covenant people. Nor shall the flame scorch you. He says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba as in in your place. Verse 4, since you were precious in my sight, you've been honored. Man, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Again, he says, fear not, for I am with you. The reminder, the repetition. I will bring your descendants from the east. And gather you from the west. And I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, don't keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Man, a lot of this is some prophecy that has been fulfilled. Verse 7. And everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created. I feel verse 7 is the most important verse from everything I've read so far. Whom I've created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. I'm going to read verse 7 one more time. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. He's telling them what? Fear not. I mean, I think we know why. If you study Israel, you'll know why he's telling them to fear not. Do not fear what nature can do. Do not fear what man can do to you. Nature and man has done a lot towards Israel. And he tells them consistently what? I am with you. Fear not, I am with you. But as you read um, this this, um, word from Isaiah in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 42, what is the purpose of all of this? What is the purpose of Israel specifically as we read this text? What is the purpose of Israel in all of this? I truly believe that verses 1 through 6 is a setup for verse 7. I believe that when he's telling them, Thus says the Lord who created you, fear not, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name. When you pass through the waters and the rivers and the fires that scorch you and they flame you, and all these and all the flames that don't scorch you, for I'm with you, the Lord your God, the Holy One. And since you are precious in my sight, you've been honored, I've loved you. When he says all these things, it's leading up to verse 7. And he says in verse 7, Everyone who is called by my name, like you, Israel, whom I've created for my glory... And I think that was what the problem was. Israel, this whole thing of you and a nation, the promise that I gave Abraham, it was not about you and your glory. I called you for my glory. 
Look at the mirror, inspect your life, really search within because you got this whole thing wrong. I've called you by name for my glory. And it was a reminder to Israel, you've been called for what purpose? For your glory? No, for the glory of the Lord. To give praises to his name. Jesus says, what does scripture say? You, you lift him up and people will be drawn to him. Listen, you being lifted up, you, you might draw following, but, but it's going to end bad. But if you lift up Jesus, then you never lose. Draw up Jesus and man will be drawn. And that's powerful. It's for what? His glory. It's my glory, Israel. And I think that's a setup for verse 7. He's setting them up. Everyone who's called by my name. For I created for my glory. I read this stuff and I said, man, Israel. And I can't really bash them. I can't really hit them over the head. I can't really call them dumb. Because I can relate a lot to Israel. And I'm sure you can. But I read this and I say, God wanted to receive all glory for his name through her, through Israel. He wanted to receive glory through Israel. Are you getting that? Because I believe as the New Testament chosen people of God, the New Testament as it teaches us now, the covenant people of God, we are the covenant people of God. I believe that the Lord wants to receive glory for his name through his people today. I believe you are his chosen people. And the Lord wants to receive glory for his name through you. How many of you can receive that? Hmm. I created for my glory. So can I ask you a question? Why were you created for? For his glory. Not for your glory, for his glory. There's glory found in that, but it's for his glory. It's for his glory. You'll continue to see where I'm going. I think somewhere that we can't overlook is Genesis 11. Especially if I'm going to get to Genesis 12, I can't skip Genesis 11. Genesis 11 is such an important part in the Bible. Um, there were builders and they were building a tower called Babel. And as these builders were building the Tower of Babel, we see something that happens to them. Their hearts were wrong in the, in the midst of building. You know you could be building something, but in the process of building it, your heart could go wrong. And as they were building, their hearts go wrong. And then their purpose of building was wrong. For a frame of, uh, just, just for reference so you could have it there. I'm talking about Genesis 11, and, I'm, and, and you get to see something very important in verse 4 if you want to write that down. But you should read all of Genesis 11. But in Genesis 11, 4, look what, look at the builders of the Tower of Babel say. Verse 4 says, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Look what they say next. Look what they say next. And let us make a name for ourselves. You see that? See that, right? Everyone sees that. We're building a building of great glory, man. A tower whose, a, whose top is in the heavens or above the heavens. However you want to look at that wordage. 
and let us make a name for ourselves. You know, in this scenario, in Genesis 11, what an amazing scenario this is. And, and I look at Genesis 11 and I say, well, today, man, just like in this scenario, I feel man goes against God's purpose. Do you, do you not agree with me? I, I, I feel it. And as man, as in Genesis 11, goes against God's purpose, listen, it, it's never to make a name for ourselves. Anything that God is doing, anything that God is building, anything that God is calling us to build and to do, it's never to make a name for ourselves. But you'll see it, hopefully you've already caught it, and you will see it by the end of this, but it's to make his name known. Anything and everything that we are to do, it's not so that our names can be elevated, but so that his name is known. I believe that if our heart stays pure to that, the Lord will walk us through it all. His name stays known. That men will be drawn to him, not to us. The towers of Babel wanted to build and said, look what we can do. Look what we can accomplish. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And, and it's never about making a name, but it's, but it's drawing men not to ourselves, but to him. To, not to build our glory, but to give him glory. Did you notice how you don't even build his glory? Not to build our glory, but to give him glory. We are created to do great things for his glory. Amen. We're created to do great things for his glory. We're that, that, that sentence is so important because how many people translate that to we're created to do great things for my glory? No, we're created to do great things for his glory. Where when people are drawn to us, in reality, they should be drawn to him. It shall never end with us. If people are just drawn to us, then we failed. But in being drawn to us, they're drawn to him, then that is a good accomplishment. That is our purposes. That is it. We're living for his glory. And that if someone, in, something in us is attracting them, it's because we're going to lead them to his glory. Don't just stay here, but it's his glory. As Paul says, follow me. Very important. I, I love what John Piper his quote as he gives thought to Genesis 11 and 12. I'm, I'm not going to copy and paste. I'm going to read from what he says. He says this, But instead of abandoning the human race after Genesis 11, God started a new thing in chapter 12 of Genesis. Listen to this. He chooses one man, Abraham, and he makes him a promise in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And listen to what God says and contrast it with what the tower builders, the towers of Babel, to what they said. So the Lord says to Abraham, check this out. This is in Genesis, in the beginning of Genesis 12. So good. He says, go from your country and from your kindred. Now, go from your country, from your family, from that of all you know, from your father's house. To the land that I will show you and I will make you. Look, at, look, what, look what the Lord tells him. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. Almost sounds like it contradicts itself, doesn't it? The people working on the Tower of Babel said this. 
let us make a name, what? For ourselves. But God chooses the father of the Jewish nation, and he says, I will make your name great. You don't put effort to make your name great. You put the effort to give glory to my name, and my response is, I will make your name great. It's, it's such a beautiful concept from that of the world. People live to make their name great. People live to make their, and those are not bad things in a sense when it, when it comes to do good with it. But if it comes when they make it their God or their own God, then it becomes wrong. But the reality is we live in a world like this. Whether it's a business, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's self, whether whatever it is. They live to make a name great for themselves, for, 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 for some sort of design, uh, some, some, some sort of look at the structure I've made, or, or look what I've created, or look what I've done, and look what has gone through us. And it's like, no, no, no. This is not the, the mind of Scripture and the mind of God. When, when, when the Lord tells Abraham to go... And, and the, the towers of Babel are saying something totally different. Where they're saying, let us make a name for ourselves. But yet, God tells Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. So look what Piper says. He says, now what does this show us about the goal of God in the world? He says this, love this. I think what scripture is telling us, that when ancient man refused to align himself with the goal of God, God set about very different ways of achieving the same goal. Man was made to rely on God and give him glory. Instead, man chose to rely on himself and seek his own glory, to make a name for himself. So God chose one small person and promised to achieve his purpose through that man and his descendants, and he would make Abraham's name great so that he and not man would get the glory. So, so here's some. Some thoughts in Genesis 11 and 12, which I think are so important. What we see in the life of Abraham is unique. If you're in more, and we've been dialoguing in more on, on, on the moments that we've met together, some of this stuff hits home with you. <clears throat> we see the life of Abraham so unique. We see how the heart of God, through the life of Abraham and through the conversations he has with Abraham, we see the heart of God and how it operates. Let's read it again. He says this in Genesis 12. He says, go from your country and your family and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. See, Abraham is entrusted with such great honor and glory because he was a man who would walk in obedience, rely on God, and through his life sought to give God glory. If you study the life of Abraham, did he make mistakes through the journey? Absolutely. Did he fall a little bit throughout his journey? Yes, 100%. Absolutely. But yet he lived a life, listen, he lived a life of obedience. I know it for a fact because to sacrifice your son on an altar to the Lord, like, like you win, bro. You, you, you lived in obedience to be willing to do that. Okay? Like that right there is, I don't care what else you tell me about Abraham, the point that he tied up his son, his one unique son in Isaac, and went to go ahead and sacrifice him and believe that the Lord was going to still give him a sacrifice. I mean, I'll honor that in itself. He, he walked in obedience, and he sought to give glory to God. And if this sacrifice to you, Lord, is to give you glory, then so be it. Still tie them up 
took out the dagger and was about to do what God called him to do before he stopped his hand. I think that's good. That's, that's proper obedience. Us being entrusted with a weightier and greater glory is not to keep the glory as we see it in Abraham's life for ourselves and make our names known. But it's to come to his presence and offer to him what he has given us. What, what has God given you that he's also calling you to offer to him? Has God given you something to give a great offering from? Has God given you something to give a great offering from? God promised Abraham a son. And yet in his son, he was supposed to bring a great offering from what God gave him. God, you gave me this. Why would you tell me to offer it? Because I want to see if you, if, if you were what? If you walk in the call that you are created for my purpose. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show you from the things which mean a lot to you from that which I've given you. Do you have something that God's given you which is, which is calling an offering from it? And I think that's so important. The weightier and greater glory is not keeping the glory but, and making our names known, but to come to his presence and offer it to him, what he's given to us, so that we ourselves and the many that we live before will know the name of our God. Not the name of you necessarily, but the name of God. Why do you give the offering that you give to the Lord? Is it so that others can see you and be, wow, you're special? Or is it so that the Lord can be glorified and that they could go and serve the Lord the way you do maybe? Or you lead them to the truth of the Lord? Or is it just... <laughs> so, so what, why do you do it? I always say this. Uh, you have to ask yourself, why do you do what you do and who do you do what you do for? Us being, I'm going to read it one more time, forgive me. Us being trusted with a weightier and greater glory is not to keep the glory for ourselves and make our names known, but to come to his presence, offer to him what he's already given us so that we ourselves and the many that we live before will know the name of our God. That's it. I, I, this is not in my notes, but I thought about this right now as I read that. I'm thinking about Elijah when he sets up the, the altar and the prophets of Baal are there. Do you remember his prayer? Lord, today I call fire from heaven. But never did he say so that these people who are the children of Israel who are, who are there, because they've all served a false god. He never says so that they can see who the prophet of Israel really is. He doesn't do that. He says, Lord, I'm going to call fire from heaven and let it come so that these could know who the one and true living God is. That's honorable because Elijah wasn't, they weren't listening to him. They weren't, dis, they weren't obedient to their authority. But he says it's beyond me now. He says so that they could know who their authority is, so that they could know who their God is. And what did he do? He pointed it back to God. You're on display here. You're on the, <laughs> we said the stage, you're on the stage here. You're on the platform here. So that they could know your glory. And that's what he does. I'll prove it to you. When the fire of God fell and the prophets of Baal began to run before they beheaded all of them, what did the children of Israel do? Scripture says they all fell to their faces and they began to worship the one true God. They didn't come to Elijah and, and worship him at his feet or kiss his hand or kiss his ring or none of that. What they did was they worshiped the God of Elijah. Elijah. 
he drew them. That's powerful. It wasn't for his glory. It was, I'm created for your glory. So as you're calling me to do this, draw them to you. And that was a powerful moment. If people are attracted to us, if people are attracted to us, if people are attracted to you, let it not be because of words that flatter or gifts that amaze, but a glory that resonates and draws them closer to the Lord. There's a lot of flattering words out here today. But your life is one that resonates with truth and with the presence of the Lord living inside. Be rooted and stand firm and stand your ground. And you say, if people come to me, they're going to know who he is. They're going to know who he is. The word is alive in me. The presence of God is alive in me. May it resonate and draw others closer to the Lord. If I live alongside people and my life doesn't point to the Lord, then I'm failing in life. If my life before my children are not pointing to the Lord, then I'm failing as a father. If my life is not pointing to the Lord before my wife, then I'm failing as a husband. May my life and may your life, may it be for his glory. Amen? I know what happens when I preach this kind of message. There's people that sometimes say, but you haven't read Romans 3.23. And just in case people were thinking about it, I know Romans 3.23. I know what Paul writes. I'll read it to you. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I agree with you. But just like I don't just stop at John 3.16, I will not stop at Romans 3.23. I also know the context around Romans 3.23. And I know that Romans 3.23 does not just have a period and it ends there. I know that the thought that Paul is writing from Romans 3.23 continues in verse 24 and 25 and 26 and 27. And be careful that you don't just grab scripture so that it can mean what you want it to mean for yourself. But that you understand the whole context of what scripture is saying so that you can live in greater glory. I need the full context to live in greater glory, not just grabbing key. So what does he say? He says this. And he tells me this in verse 24. Ready? Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Does not end there. Verse 24 says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It doesn't end in Romans 3.23. It doesn't just end with all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God because there's also a God who is righteous and who came and he died and he resurrected and his righteousness now comes on you and you walk in the holiness and you walk in the righteousness. You die deeper so that you can live in greater glory. Man, it's not just about like, I'm just a sinner. I just suck in my life. I'm just no hope. No, there's not. There is hope. There is glory. There is power. There is might. There is strength. There is righteousness in Jesus Christ our Lord. Glory in Jesus. Be justified freely through the redemption that is in Jesus. He set forth as a pope. Man, the scripture says it clearly. And thank you, Lord, because... When I come before your presence as a sinner, when I come before your presence as a failure, I'm sure you can relate to me. When I come before your presence as someone who feels has no hope, 
And I end that Romans 3.23, Lord, I'm just a sinner and I fall short of your glory. You remind me the promises of 24, of 25 and 26. Rigo, I know you just sin and you fall short. But listen, there's also a grace that I give through redemption that is in my son, Jesus Christ. I set forth as a propitiation by his blood, and, I, and that strengthens me, and that gives me hope. So at this present time, it could demonstrate his righteousness, so that he might be just, and he would be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for you give me hope that my life doesn't end in just Romans 3.23, but hopefully Romans 3.23, I come to that knowledge and that understanding and that truth so then I could actually operate and live in verses 24 through 26. Peterson translates it, comments it, whatever, comments it this way. Verse 24, says, he says it this way in Romans 3. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. It's all about him. It's his glory. It's not us. Out of sheer generosity, he puts us in right standing with himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess that we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. And God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right, and he also makes it possible for us to live in his righteousness. It's for his glory. Amen? So there is a righteousness. There is a glory for us to live in because of a life that was laid down for us. So here's what God was sharing with me. In our pride, we can't live in greater glory. If you have pride in your pride, you won't be able to live in greater glory. In your sin, you can't live in greater glory. If you have continual sin and you're living in sin, you won't be able to live in greater glory. If we're preoccupied with foolishness, you're going to miss greater glory. But we must arrive to the end of ourselves. We should write this, man. We should arrive to the end of ourselves where we find, and if you're in more, you know exactly what I, what I mean when I say this, where we find in being less, there is actually more. In being less, there is actually more. Because he becomes more alive in those who make themselves less. I don't believe dying to our flesh, guys, is a one-time deal when we receive salvation, and that's it. Paul tells the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15 that he dies daily. He dies daily. My dying daily, I need you to hear this, is not the justification or the allowance to sin daily or to live in sin. My dying daily is not, oh, wait, I could sin because tomorrow I'm going to die again. No. It's not justification. It's not this allowance to continue to live in sin. But it's this. Each morning, I remind the flesh it's dead on the cross. Each morning or each day, I remind the flesh it's taken by the waters of baptism. So I can experience and I can live a life in the Spirit. How many of us are missing the life of the Spirit? 
because we haven't recognized that there's a greater and deeper death for you. Galatians 5, Paul writes this in verses 16 through 26. Just come with me for a moment. He says this, I say then, walk in the what? Mm-hmm. I say then, walk in the spirit. What happens if you walk in the spirit? And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you see that? When you feed and you walk in the spirit, the flesh begins to be conquered. Look what the flesh does. Look what the flesh does. Follow here. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's a, how many of you know that there's a constant battle living inside of you? You felt it yet? All right. Good. That would have been worrisome. Like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. All right. And oh, I don't know where to go from there. All right. And these are contrary to one another, opposite of one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. How many of you wish you could do things, but no, that's not what you're called to do. You can wish all you want. Is the Spirit calling you to do that? Verse 18. If you're, this is beautiful. Verse 18. It's going to talk about the Spirit. Ready? Talk about greater glory. Talk about greater glory. Notice what's dying. What's dying? Something's dying. Deeper death. Something's dying so that something could come alive. Greater what? Glory. Walking in the Spirit. Greater glory. Dying to the flesh. Deeper death. I know Paul doesn't use the phrase deeper death, greater glory. I know I'm using that, but Paul is saying the same thing. Flesh is dying so that spirit could become alive. Deeper death and there will be greater glory of walking in the spirit. Watch what he says about greater glory. Verse 18. If you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Thank you. Now the works of the flesh, here it is. The reason why there's deeper death. Ready? The works of the flesh are evident. What are some of the works of the flesh? These are not all of them. These are some of them, obviously. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, those are the works of the what? Verse 22, he's going to teach us something different. Verse 22 doesn't just end there, it continues. But the fruit of the Spirit, I would say this is the greater glory. We experience deeper death, verses 19 through 21. Verse 22, greater glory. The fruit of the Spirit is, watch the opposite, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Verse 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. Deeper death, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Greater glory. Let us not become conceited, because it's not about us, provoking one another or envying one another. When you provoke one another, when you envy one another, listen closely to people's lips. They will begin to speak about the other. And listen to the one who's not saying it. I mean, you have to really be wise. Paul is really addressing key things in the church. Let us walk in the spirit. The walk of the flesh sounds like this, looks like this, speaks like this. But those of the spirit sounds like this, looks like this. This is what it sounds like. Deeper death, greater glory. And I could just come to the place and say, do you feel, and I've talked to the family here, that you need to go deeper in death? Why do you feel you need to go deeper in death? Because there you'll be sure to find greater glory. Greater glory that will draw, yes, people to him. But greater glory so that you can live in 
Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, greater glory. I was created for his glory. How many of you could say that? All right, let me give you another scripture real quick. Romans chapter 8, verses 13 through 17. What does he say here? For if you live according to the flesh, you will what? But if you live by the Spirit, you will be... But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will... Deeper death. You want to live? Everyone's answer is? Hopefully. You want to live? Yes. Good. Put things to die. Like what? Flesh. Things in the flesh. Like what? Well, we just read them. Deeper death, greater glory. Verse 14. For as many are led by the Spirit... Look what he says. These are sons of God. Tell me that this is not greater glory after death, after deeper death. You tell me if this is not greater glory after deeper death. Ready? For these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, greater glory, man, that we now are children of God. And if children, now we're what? We're heirs. And we're heirs of God and we're joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be what? <laughs> Glorified together with him. Greater glory. But first comes what? Well, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Deeper death and there will be a reign of greater glory. I could keep going if you guys don't get it yet. What is all this saying? May the Lord receive glory for his name through you. Do you know that he could come right now? He could stand on top of a mountain and trust me, all earth will have to give glory to him. Yeah. <laughs> if he, right now, if he breaks through this ceiling and it starts to crumble or if he just does this whole, he runs right through it and he stands on this platform, we might all go blind. We all fall on our faces. I mean, he could just stand anywhere and just say, ta-da, I am here, and, and it could happen. There is, I mean, I, have you read the Bible that I've read? But, but yet, he has a unique, unique thing, you know, because he's a father. And as a father, he has a unique way of doing stuff in his children. And he says, it's your time. That you, through your life, through your life, I would receive glory for my name but through my sons and daughters. And I think that's such an honorable thing for Dada to do for us. I think it is such an honorable thing. For him to say, you know, I could just govern this whole thing and do all of this stuff by myself, and he can. But yet, he still calls you and chooses you, puts his hand on you, places his spirit in you, and he says, you want to come on a journey with me and experience some things along the way? And yet he never had to do that. But he does it. Hopefully some of you feel honored for that. Like in Publix in L4. Or wherever else it may happen. I get to do this for a living? You do. You know what you get to do for a living? Stand on the platform of being a son and daughter of God to give him glory. In every supermarket. In every movie theater. In every family and friend gathering that people would be drawn to Christ. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. Last week as we end, I, I, want, I don't want to continue to talk. I want this to really hit home. 
But last week we shared something that the way that Christ would be glorified was that he would also lay down his life. I want to read that passage one more time. And that his life being laid down would preach to us that the way that we will be glorified is if we too lay down our lives for him. John 12, I read this scripture, and I read it from verses 24 and 25. Listen to how it's put here. He says, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it's buried, it sprouts and it reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it destroys that life. Just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let it go, death, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever. You'll have it real and eternal. When Jesus talks about a grain of we falling on the ground and dying and being buried. He's talking about his own life. If the Son of Man does not die and is buried in the ground and to then resurrect, and from that death and resurrection, it will reproduce many more sons and daughters that will care, take on his image. That taking on his image will never happen unless it dies. What does Jesus teach us? I laid down my life so that this world could even see greater glory in you all. And I look at that and I say, well, if Christ laid down his life, who am I to think not once that my life is called to be laid down as well? Deeper death daily so that I could encounter and live in the spirit, walk in the spirit, and enjoy greater glory in what he's called me to live in. And I say this with all honesty, with purity of the word of God. My greater glory is his greater glory. It's for his glory. It's for his name. And that's what it should be for all of us. You are created for his 